So I'm playing concerts much more often for many more people. I'm making more money. I'm sort of parading around the world, taking my shirt off at shows. And it's such a gift to sort of fall into this kind of, quote, success at the age I was at, which was like 23. What I realized, the ways it didn't change my life was it didn't make me any happier. It didn't make me any more comfortable in my own skin. And it didn't clear up any of the insecurities I had with myself. And what was especially disillusioning about that was I thought it would. That's Mike Posner, this week on the Ritual Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. What's up, people? How you guys doing? Welcome to the podcast. My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. And today I have musician Mike Posner on the show. Vocalist, songwriter, incredibly prolific producer. And I got to say up front, this guy is just such a gift. Not only is he an amazing talent, he's just a real sweetheart. And I can almost guarantee that you are familiar with his music, perhaps his song Cooler Than Me, which came out in 2010, or his more recent, mostly acoustic song, I Took a Pill in Ibiza, or Ibiza, depending upon how you pronounce it, from his 2016 sophomore LP. And that song was a massive hit. Uh, it was nominated for a Grammy Song of the Year. And along the way, Mike has written all manner of chart-busting songs for seemingly everyone. You know that Justin Bieber song, Boyfriend? Well, that was Mike. He wrote Sugar for Maroon 5, as well as songs for everybody from Pharrell to Tlaib Kweli, 2 Chains, Wiz Khalifa, Snoop Dogg, Nick Jonas, Avicii, who we talk a lot about today, and so many others. So this is essentially going to be a conversation, not only about Mike's story, but also about creativity and self-expression with an incredibly prolific artist. Uh, like I said, Mike is a beautiful soul. His energy is just infectious. And yet at the same time, he's amazingly grounded, centered, calm, all traits that he directly credits, as you will soon hear, to a consistent meditation practice, something he is incredibly dedicated to. Hey, everybody. Like me, Inside Tracker wants to help you start the new year right. So they're thrilled to help support the Living Proof Challenge, the no cost, science based habit building program designed by my well being wizard brother, Simon Hill, to specifically up level the most important biomarkers that drive health span, that drive disease prevention, physical fitness, and mental well being, courtesy of a doable, evidence based 12 week program elaborated upon in length in my conversation with Simon that dropped January 1. That's RRP 804. If you listen to that episode, then you know the program entails comprehensive blood testing at both the commencement and conclusion of the challenge. And nobody handles blood testing better than Inside Tracker, who are graciously encouraging everyone to join the no cost challenge by offering a 25% off discount on Inside Tracker tests. To unlock the discount and learn more about this challenge, visit theproof.com slash livingproof. 
We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. Okay, so Mike Posner. Yes, he's an incredible musician, but that's not really what motivated me to talk to him. It was more his spirit, his perspective that really drew me in. He is a magnetic, beautiful, large personality. He's overflowing with positivity. He's got this unbridled, honest enthusiasm for life, which I really respect and admire, but it comes not without challenges that he's faced and obstacles that he's had to confront and overcome. In fact, his journey has really been quite the roller coaster. Uh, so this is a story that, that begins with a precocious kid in Detroit, a kid with big dreams who launched his storied musical career while still a student at Duke, Duke University. Uh, it's a story of unpredictable highs and many low lows with a lot of reflection and grieving and growth, both emotional and spiritual along the way. Uh, I'm not gonna spoil any more of it other than to say, 
I have appreciated Mike from afar for quite a long time before this conversation, but I just fell in love with him during uh, this exchange. And I think you guys are going to as well. So let's kick it off. Uh, we're going to start with a beautiful acoustic version of Mike's aptly titled song, In the Middle. Perfume on my shirt Puts me in the past Too tough to be without her But too afraid to ask Yeah Here I am again Stuck in the middle Here I am again, stuck in the middle Too young to settle down Too old to be in bars It's hard to take it easy It's easy to be hard Yeah Here I am again Stuck in the middle 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 Forgive me, I am building my ship as it sails How do I become who I want to be while still remaining myself? People love the old me I don't know where he's gone Too tired to be famous Too vain to be unknown Yeah here I am again, stuck in the middle Here I am again, stuck in the middle Here I am again, stuck in the middle Here I am again Stuck in the middle. Yeah. That is insane, man. Thank you. So beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you for that. I love it. Thanks for listening. Um, it's so poignantly honest and vulnerable and, and, and raw. And I think that's really a touchstone of, of your work. You know, my favorite line is too tired to be famous. Too vain to, to be, be unknown, unknown, you know? Yeah. It's like the courage to, you know, admit that. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it, it almost takes, um, it's easier to just admit it. Yeah. You know, it'd be a lot of, and it takes a lot of energy to sort of decide, okay, I'm going to share these things with people and this list of things about myself, I'm, I'm not. And that, that takes a lot of energy to sort of constantly be navigating mm -hmm. and 
a lot of bandwidth. Um, I found it's just a little little simpler to just be honest and truthful. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting in the context of you know the evolution of your career as somebody who kind of started out uh, in the rap world doing rap battles. You know, back in high school, where it's all about fronting and ego. Mm-hmm. To you know, this arc to come to this place of of just raw emotional vulnerability. You know, to come to the. I mean, I think of you. It's interesting looking back at the origins of of how you began, with you know influences you know coming directly from traditional rap into this guy who who you know kind of to me feels a lot more like Cat Stevens you know meets In Q with yeah. this poetry and this kind of folk sensibility wrapped up in in pop with its roots in hip hop and rap. It's the genre thing is a trip yeah. for me. Because um, I love a lot of different music. It's today is January what ninth, ninth, and the last week or so, I have made like four hip hop songs in a row, uh-huh. just straight rap songs, <laughs> you know. And uh, so it's like, yeah, I mean, I get in the cabs. People are confused. Yeah, I get in a cab in a different city. You know, hey, how's it going? What do yeah. you do? I'm a recording artist. What kind of music do you make? <laughs> How do you answer that? I don't ever know what to say. I yeah. say I jump around every album. Uh-huh. And um I, mean, I think I'm really good at a bunch of You're different You're very good things. at so it. it. I don't know it's it's t- it's I don't I don't feel like I fit in one of those boxes. Yeah. I feel like I fit in all of them. So how do you follow that muse? I'm sure there's pressure, you know, on you. Oh, you need to be in this lane. You know, this is what works. This is what people want. I mean, I know when you played um the Lions game on Thanksgiving Day, like people hadn't seen you with the beard, yeah. you know, and they were freaking out because they're that used was, to seeing you in a certain light. That was so uh, tough at the time, but so helpful, of, you know, with what, a few months of hindsight. So, you know, first of all, um, to answer your original question, is you really try not to pay attention as much as you can to the. Um, reaction to the art you know for me the reward is in the making of the thing in the first place Mm -hmm. and if something becomes really popular which has happened a few times in my career you know I made thousands of songs but I've had like five that have gotten like absurdly popular I don't know why or how but it happens every once in a while but try just to kind of ignore that Um, it's almost part of my job to ignore that and um, because the tendency, if you pay too much attention, is to replicate or emulate something you already did that was quote unquote successful. Yeah. So you just sort of leave that behind and then listen to whatever. You know, you have to have, I, for me, I have to have some sort of practice to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Meditation really helps. And listen to what comes up in me and, and I just follow that. The things just pop in my head. And my job is to get them recorded and produced the way they sound. In my head, and you, that's it. It's do you feel like job. your 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 job is really to open that channel? That it's less about you. That it's that it's coming from some other place. Sure. I mean, look, we all have a, a, a ton of thoughts that come in our head each day. And do you really get credit for the thoughts that pop in your head? I, I, don't I like know. To, I like to take credit sometimes. Yeah, well, we and all I know do. I, I, I do too. Yeah. You know, it's like, but the the honest answer is like the song just popped in my head, mm-hmm. and I wrote it down. 
do I get credit for that? I mean, I guess in our society, the way it's set up, yeah, I do. I get paid for it and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I think it's, yeah, it's more about listening, you know, mm-hmm. listening to, I'm always scared. I'm like superstitious. I'll be laying in bed at night and, uh, you know, a melody pops in my head or something like that. And uh, I'm like, man, I'm tired. I'm going to get up and put this down. But I'm I'm always worried that, <laughs> and maybe it sounds silly, but I'm worried. I will forget, but I'm worried that if I don't put it down, whatever is sending them to me will stop. Right. Because <laughs> you're not else. honoring it. Yeah, I'll give them to like, someone Like, oh, you're not going to pay attention? Yeah. I'm going to send this idea to somebody else. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very similar to, um, do you know Elizabeth Gilbert? I know of her. Yeah, she wrote I this just bo- was recommended. She wrote to- this book called Big Magic. Okay. And one of the ideas, it's a great book, but one of the ideas in that book is that the ideas, all of these ideas are kind of floating around in the clouds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as an artist, your job is to finally attune that, that radar, that antenna, so that you can pull it down and nurture that idea. But if you don't, somebody else is going to grab it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe, it's and it's timing. A lot of it is timing, right? Yeah. So I like that idea. Like, oh, if I don't, if I don't write this down and get it down right now, like that muse is gonna travel elsewhere. Yeah, I don't know if it's true, but it might be. Yeah. <laughs> do you have like a formal writing process? Like, what does that look like? I for do you? not. You know. Yeah. So I, I'm 30 years old. I'll be 31 February 12th, and I started writing my first raps when I was eight. So I'm like 22 years into this thing, uh-huh. and I have written songs every which way. Um, from I've written them at night, written them in the morning. I've, I've written them to beats that are already done. I've written them on the guitar. Started with melody. Started with every every way. So and, there isn't one thing like oh I get the I get the hook or the lyric. No, and build I try it. I tried to figure this out. I'll tell you what I did a few years ago. I, I made a spreadsheet with what I thought were, were my best songs. It was like 10 songs on there. My best songs to me, not the uh-huh. biggest ones. And so, and then I tried to, I made another, all these columns where I wrote down every everything I could remember, the season, the time of day I wrote it, the mood I was in, what I ate that day, how much I slept, everything I could remember to see if there was some sort of pattern. Because if, if you know, if, if all 10 of them came at 7 p.m., right. I was going to stop writing, trying to write at 10 a.m., <laughs> uh-huh. you know? So I found no pattern other than I think more than half of them were, were second attempts at an idea or used an idea that had some, some failed idea was being reworked in a mm-hmm. lot of these things. That was the only pattern I found. Mm-hmm. But as far as like, yeah... Um, Specific process or time of day, yeah. there was there was no pattern. Like like having an idea but not executing on it right right away and letting it marinate. And Even trying to execute execute mm-hmm. on it and and failing, mm-hmm. you know. Or sometimes you write a, a song that's a bad song but has one great line in it. So then later you might be writing a great song and you steal that line from that right. bad song. You just throw that bad song right, away. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> on that idea of of trying to find quietude, you know, tuning out all the signals that are coming at us. <clears throat> it's getting harder and harder to do that with our phones and with the internet. It's so easy to distract ourselves with these addictive devices that I would imagine as an artist, you have to be very disciplined about making sure that you carve out that special time to create. 
outside of that kind of influence that's always, you know, kind of bearing down upon us. Correct. You know, for me, I have a, I have a meditation practice, which is I, I meditate a minimum of, of 20 minutes twice per day. So that re- that really helps. Like vipassana, or what is the? Um, I usually am doing TM. TM. I've done a vipassana retreat. That was uh-huh. no joke, man. Have you done one of those? No, but I it's on my to do <laughs> list for this year. That was no joke. Oh man, ten days. Ten days. I I which, had j- which center did you go to? I went to one in Texas, just uh-huh. because that's the way the dates worked out. Um, and I was coming off twelve days at a monastery where I was in solitude for how long? I was there 12 days, and, and that one, I was completely alone. And so there was no program or whatever. And so I, my confidence was You're pretty like, high. I, got I had this. a good t- Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I got this. I got there. That thing was no joke, man. It's the sheer physicality of it, because you're on a mat, on the floor, sitting cross-legged for 10 hours a day mm-hmm. for 10 days. I'll tell you, my back was lit up, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was no joke. And uh, you know, you're waking up at four a.m. and you're basically just meditating until right. ten p.m. or something like that. So I've heard from I've talked to a lot of people that have that have done those retreats, and my sense is that you get it, you get to your breaking point at like I don't know day seven or something like that. That's when a lot of people bolt, but you got to just stay. Yeah, and, man, that was cool because at at the vipassana ones, you don't um, there's no talking. And beyond that, there's no like, there's not supposed to be any communication. She's not supposed to be like gesturing or even eye contact. But, it, and, and there's assigned mats, if you will. So there's like, you, the people next to you are the same every sit. And you sort of make things up about, your brain at least starts to make things uh-huh. up. About, like, you know, I would, I'd come in and like, I felt like they were my, battalion you know i'm like all right let's do this guy and then like the dude next to me <laughs> he like the third day he didn't come back i'm like uh-huh. man he's gone and i was like and the guy next to me i just really liked there's something about mm-hmm. him i i liked him i was like man in my head i was going please do not quit man i need you man i need you man. right and like, everyone sort of on the last day they like let you start talking to uh-huh. like you know sort of have a transition period back to getting in the real world and Everyone is kind of doing that to each other. Like, man, you helped me so much. And the guy's like, uh-huh. really? <laughs> yeah, that connection, that intimacy that that can be created without any language or real interaction. Yeah. I'm sure you felt like you really knew those people at the end of yeah, that period. Yeah, I did. And then sometimes I would talk to them on the last day and sometimes they were exactly who I thought they were. Uh-huh. And sometimes they were like totally the opposite, different. yeah. It's fascinating. I'll tell you a story from my third day there. There was a guy sitting in front of me and he was overweight. He didn't look very healthy. Uh, he looked like a sort of like a worn man. And I, uh, I'm not proud to say I felt sort of like repulsed by this guy and every time we'd sit and it's dead quiet in there and you're supposed to not really move you know and this guy would be fidgeting you know he couldn't get his change his leg whatever and i was getting so annoyed 
we get to the third day and I'm having a real tough time. It's, it hurts, man, your back, you know, and I'm thinking, why why did I pick to do this? This is ridiculous, man. And, and all the sort of background negativity that's running it, you kind of got to deal with yeah. when you're when you're there. And I, so in this particular set, day three, I'm fidgeting a lot. And we're 45, 50 minutes into this hour-long sit, and I, I'm just out of it. I open my eyes, which I'm not supposed to do, and there's this guy, and he's sitting like the gosh darn Buddha, like... Perfect. Showing you what's what. And I started crying because I thought you're such a you're such an asshole. I mean, here's this man who he's showing up to this thing, man. It's got to be harder for him than you to sit like this, and he's showing up, and you're over here judging him about how he looks or he fidgeting. It, what a, it's such an asshole, man. And and the thing that would that made me cry that I felt so ashamed was because I know it's not the I'm I know I'm doing that all the time, you know, judging people right. and judging myself. And um that was a bit of an eye opener for me. I wish I could say I don't do it at all anymore, but it's it takes time to sort of unlearn to Yeah, just put it right that. up in your grill. Yeah. But meanwhile, you're not really supposed to be thinking about anything. <laughs> Great. You're supposed to be focusing <laughs> yeah. on that breath. Equanimous. Well, what got you- Equanimity. Equanimity, man. <laughs> That's the goal. Uh, what got you into meditation? I grew up an atheist. I grew up as sort of what's real is real. and was sort of a like <laughs> Midwestern Jewish pessimism about the world. And when I was 24, I saw a friend of mine who um, a lot of your listeners will probably know, watchers, maybe, viewers, um, his, name, his name is Big Sean. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Sean and I had known each other since we were, 18, you know, he used to come to my house and make music. He calls my mom, mom, this kind of thing. And so when I'm 24, both of our careers have sort of started. And his career is like exploding at the time for the first time. He's having his first sort of wave. And he, we're both in LA. He says, come to the studio. So I go to the studio, meet up with him. And I'm sure you and everyone hearing this has had a moment where someone just lights you up. There, for whatever reason, being around them makes you feel good. They, you might even be around them and they leave and you still feel good. And that's what happened that day. He was just like, he was just in a good, in a good place and it re was reverberating out to not just me, everyone around him. So I went home. And the next day I came back to the studio. I go, what's, what's up with you, man? What's going on here? Because he's doing, I mean, his career, he was like 
shelved for six years. Mm-hmm. I mean, he signed to Kanye for years and years and years and years, and nothing happened. And then all of a sudden, bang, it was just all happening. And and he was in such a good spot with it. So I'm like, what's, what's going on? He goes, you got to read these two books. Two books. One was The Alchemist. Uh-huh. And the other was a book called Ask and It Is Given by Esther and Jerry Hicks. And The channel. Yeah, and I, so I go, she seems to be working for him, yeah. man. <laughs> you know, so uh-huh. I get the books, man, you know, and. That sort of opened my like whole world ignited up. Ignited your whole spiritual yeah. path. And that was the beginning. And the the foreword to Asking is Given was written by a guy named Wayne Dyer, Dr. Mm-hmm. Wayne Dyer, who's from Detroit. Um, I didn't know he was from Detroit. Yeah. He actually was my mom's uh, like counselor, high school counselor. Really? School. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And um, so... His his forward really resonated with me, and I remember one of the quotes says, "said um, I don't think he made it up, but it said, um, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change." And that that I, that was just so foreign to me. Blew your mind. Blew my mind. Uh-huh. And so I started YouTubing him, and he had some guided meditations. So that's those were the first meditations I ever did, and then I I went into TM, and. Ever since, man. That's interesting. I I, I would have suspected that the path that you're on was born more out of some of the, you know, painful moments in your life, but it really sounds like it came from a pure aspiration to just, you know, inhabit, uh, you know, a different level of consciousness because you saw your friend who was doing well and seemed happier. And I think there was some like, it's probably some jealousy mixed in too. Like, man, like he's, suddenly he's, he's winning that. too. Right. Like, I want to do that. As well. uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm not proud of that, but that, I'm sure that was mixed in there yeah. as well. Well, let's track it back to to uh, to Detroit, man, to the beginning. Okay. So you started you started writing raps when you were eight yeah. in Detroit. Yeah. So is this like eight mile Detroit? No, no. The- I'm from, uh, I was born in Detroit proper uh-huh. and I grew up, in a place called Southfield. Sure. Southfield borders Detroit. So everyone knows the movie Eight Mile. Mm-hmm. Um, south of Eight Mile is Detroit on the other side. South of Detroit is Eight Mile. On the other side is Southfield. It's kind of confusing, kind of a mouthful. But I lived in Southfield, um, which is where I lived, at least, um, was a was a middle, sort of middle class um, demo demographically, ethnically, it's very similar to Detroit. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not like Bloomfield Hills. It's not Bloomfield Hills. I'm from Gross Point. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I was born there. I mean, we I moved. Know that. We moved when I was young, when I was like okay. seven. So I can't really say I grew up there, gotcha. but my parents are from Detroit. That's and, great. You know yeah. where they went to high school? Uh, Gross Point. Yeah. E- is it East? I don't know. Gross Point. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is it Gross Point North too? I don't I think. know. Yeah, I think, I, it, think. I think it was East or South. One of those. I think East. Yeah. Yeah, so Southfield is like, um, it's not the hood at all, at least in my part of it. Um, ethnically, it's about, I think, 75% African-American. Uh-huh. Um, the, young, the, old, the younger people, like the kids, tend to be even more African-American, and the sort of the older population is more white. 
Um, but we had like, I had a bunch of boys on my street. We sort of played basketball every day. We rode bikes all around. Um, you had your crew. It was a magical place to grow up, man. My mom still lives there and I go back all the time. I love it there. Mm. I love Southfield. I love Detroit. So that's where it all begins. <laughs> yeah. So where does the music pop in? I first started playing drums. I was like in fifth grade and, uh, I had a few older cousins that rapped. I thought they're cool, man. And um, and a lot of my buddies, they listened to hip hop. So first hip hop I heard was like, was on TV. It was like DMX and Mystical. And I thought, and then I later sort of got into more like underground, I called it underground now, like Talib Kweli and Outcast and uh -huh. most deaf and these kind of things. And I remember the heady ones. Yeah, a couple of my buddies were the having intellectuals. Yeah, they were having a sleepover. Aaron Webster and Ronnie Posey, still my buddies. And for whatever reason, we, we decided we're gonna freestyle tonight at this sleepover at Ronnie's house. And so we all sort of found CDs that had music without words on it. I remember I brought a Moby CD because there was a track on the end of the See, that didn't have any top line. Uh -huh. And so I put this on. We all tried freestyling. And I remember they they sort of felt like, oh, that was fun. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to stop that. I'm never. I'm going to get really so that's good. That's like a moment. I'm going to get really good at Did that. you have like a <laughs> conscious awareness that that was a, kind of a flick the switch? It wasn't even thing? a decision. I just knew I'm going to yeah. get good at that. And I did. So I would, I would practice freestyling. And um, at first, I, my mom had a computer with like a terrible microphone on the top. Uh -huh. And I figured like on some of the old windows, there was like a voice recorder. So if I played, you know, music through the computer speakers and rapped at the same time, could sort of make a recording. <laughs> and I, there's like uh -huh. one of my buddies has these like terrible things where my voice hasn't dropped yet. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, so I started doing that. And my mom bought me a keyboard from Best Buy eventually that she let me hook up to her computer. I started figuring out how to make beats. Uh -huh. And I was stealing a lot of software off the internet. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, I just, I just kept going. And like you mentioned earlier in high school, I used to battle, you know, and which for me, I was, I was small in high school. So I, I mean, basketball was everything, man. Basketball was everything. Like I, the thing I wanted more than anything was to be good at basketball. Yeah, I was tiny, yeah. and I, I tried real hard. I played good defense, but like it's not gonna happen. It wasn't gonna happen, you know. And so, here in this this rap battle area, my weakness actually sort of became my strength because I was so unassuming. I was so small. I was so white that when I would say a line that it, like I get a bigger reaction, right? Because it was they're kind not of, expecting it. Yeah, to come surprising, from you. Right. surprising. And so, so did uh, that make you like a? Were you a popular kid in high school then, for being able to do that? I wouldn't say I was popular, but I was friends with everyone. Yeah, it's sort of like my relationship with genres now it was the same way I was with cliques at school. I'm cool with everyone. Do I really belong to any of them? Not really. I'm a floater kind of. Yeah. Well, the guy who can throw down like you is going to be able to ingratiate himself with the athletes <laughs> and with the stoners and with, you know, pretty much every, yeah. every crew, right? Yeah. And, it, you know, that was really when music did begin to 
to deepen me as a human too. What do you mean by that? I was doing beats and I was selling beats to rappers in addition to recording my own stuff. And the rappers all lived in the hood. So I would end up in these neighborhoods that um, I wouldn't have otherwise been in. And I just learned a lot. I had more of an awareness um, for the the privilege that I that I have and that I grew up with. Uh-huh. And um, when I finished high school, I, I I was a good student, and I went to Duke University right. after, and I met a lot of kids who who didn't have that awareness, and I actually felt really bad for them. That's you know, definitely sort of, a big cultural change. Yeah, I mean these sort of like trust fund babies, and you know a lot of people might might actually feel jealous of them. I never felt jealous of them. I felt I felt sort of sad for them because they only lived in this one little bubble of, mm-hmm. of life. And you know, since music has taken me or taken me here today, it's, it's been a magical way to navigate the world. Yeah. It's taken me all over the world. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities, of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, It's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. Well, you seem like you're like a good kid, right? I mean, your mom, I mean, education must have been important for you to get into Duke and you know, be a kid who's like doing the rap thing but also getting good grades at the same time. Yeah. Like those two things don't <laughs> usually coexist. No. I mean, usually just artists in general hate school. Yeah. And I actually didn't like school. Um, but I loved getting A's. I don't know what it was cuz there was no sort of like there was no reward in my house. You know, some of my friends they get an A, and their mom would get them like money or something like that. Or, and there was no punishment either if I got a bad grade. I just, I don't know. I always was like, if I was in a class, I just expected to ace everything, uh-huh. and I, I studied. You know, yeah. I worked hard at it. So you're a Duke. Uh, and you were in like a frat, right? Yeah. So you did like the yeah. full Duke thing, <laughs> but you're like making beats in your dorm room at the same time. Yeah, I like mean, I'm so, trying to just visualize. Yeah, so I I met um, I 
the summer before Duke, I interned at the radio station in Detroit. Uh huh. So you, yeah, you were collaborating with Big Sean in high school, right? He was your right that summer, uh-huh. right before we meet, and I give him a couple of beats and this kind of thing, and then I leave to go to Duke. Sean, mind you, had a scholarship to Michigan State, but Kanye signed him, and he said, "Don't go to Michigan State. Why? Because you're gonna be a rapper, dude. You don't go to right. college." So I go to Duke, Sean stays in Detroit, and I got my little setup in my dorm room. I'm making beats, and I'm sending them. I'm sending every beat I make back to Sean. He's the only guy I know, right. you know, that's like got a record deal. Right, but he's working with Kanye. I mean, that's your he's, end. He's working with Kanye, exactly, and he's working with um, some of our other buddies from Detroit. And I remember I was at Duke, and... I had a math test. And I was used to being like one of the smartest kids. At Duke, I was like the dumbest kid, uh-huh. man. And I remember studying for this math test really hard, and I got it back, and I failed it. It wasn't like I had slacked off and like, man, I, I had worked on it and studied, and I failed it. And a day later, I got this news from Sean that the producers, our other buddies in Detroit, Kanye was going to sign them too. And I go, man, I, man, did I mess up. Mm. That should have been me. I should have stayed in Detroit. I'm over here filming math tests, and these guys getting signed by Kanye. Right, with a bunch of frat boys. Yeah. So anyway, like a year passes, and I, I just keep making beats, keep sending them to Sean, and I make like 100 beats in a year, send them all to him. He might use like two of them. And... Then I had this sort of weird idea to start start singing my raps. And Where did that come from? Because prior to that, you weren't singing at all. No, which I is crazy because you have this elegiac voice that you. you know I can't you know, I can't <laughs> imagine a time in which you weren't singing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, a lot of practice yeah. <laughs> later, but um. I Jack Johnson was was blown up at the time. I sort of uh-huh. had this like harebrained scheme to make like a, a hip hop Jack Johnson band, right? Where I would have I imagine like, Jack Johnson was huge at Duke. Yeah, yeah. you know he's huge everywhere yeah. at the time. At least yeah, and so it seemed. And uh, so I had this idea of like having acoustic guitars, Jay Dilla drums. I would rap and. Um, and rap and like sort of sing. And there was another guy at our school, Eric Holges, he would sing. He was like a real singer. And um, and then, so I started this band, Mike Posner and the Brain Trust. And um, we started putting stuff out. And really what happened was the two guys in the band quit. Eric was the real singer. And I love Eric to this day. He has a another band called Delta Ray that he started after and they're very wildly successful now. And Jeff O, he can bring his guitar back. And so I was like, man, I gotta start singing this stuff. And what was interesting to me was as I was such a big hip hop fan and I had never heard a rapper, I'd never heard a singer sing the way I really wanted to hear a singer sing as a hip hop fan. So an example is like um, my first popular song is this song, Cooler Than Me. Yeah. And it has the complex rhymes in it, multi-syllabic rhymes, which I never 
heard singers use. So I'll show you what I mean. I, I said, you got designer shades just to hide your face. So not only do shades and face rhyme, but designer and hide your rhyme yeah. also. And that to me was just freaking cool. Like yeah. I never heard a singer do that. Yeah. So, well, when you sing it, you don't immediately think hip hop, but when you deconstruct it, you can see it. Yeah, but like a a hip hop fan would hear that, right? You know. So you're like you're you're bending the genre. I mean, it's really bending bending the genre from the beginning is what cracks it open for you. It was a weird sort of like it took twelve years. So at this point, yeah. I'm twenty. I made music all this all this time. It wasn't until I was 20 that I stumbled on this thing that was influenced by others, but was unmistakably mine. Mm. And I knew right away. Everyone's reaction was different. People were singing the song all over Duke campus. and Right, so you make these demos, right? And they're getting played at the parties. They played at the parties. Yeah. People and, and I didn't go to the parties because I was recording in my dorm. And the only time, it's loud in dorms. The only time you can really record is when everyone else goes out. 11 p.m. to 2.15 a.m. Uh -huh. So that's, that your, was- Your vocals went down? <laughs> that's when my yeah. vocals went down. Uh -huh. And then my buddies would come back and they'd be like, man, they played cooler to me at the party and everyone knew it. Wow. Which that never happened to me. Uh -huh. Then my mom calls me. She goes, I like this song cooler than me. Really? I love my mom to death. She's an honest woman. She never told me she liked any of my stuff before. Always supported me, bought me instruments, paid for lessons. She never said, I like this personally. She said she liked Cooler Than Me. Then Big Sean called me. He goes, Cooler Than Me is like a hit song, man. I go, what are you talking about, man? I'm just- Yeah, if both your mom and Big Sean like it, like that's the crossover I... <laughs> potential. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, man, that's uh -huh. what I was thinking. And so then it just sort of started from there, man. Yeah, and what's what's unique and cool and kind of of the moment of that time is the fact that you end up releasing this song on iTunes U, yeah. right? Because that was there was no Spotify. You couldn't, as a consumer, just upload your music onto the internet to distribute it, right? But you kind of found this loophole. Correct, and and this was at a time when music was being pirated at a very high rate. Um, and the music industry was really in trouble. And I knew better than anyone, I had the Duke internet, we were stealing everything, you know? And so- Was this like full Napster era or a little bit it after? It was a few years after, after we were using BitTorrents, right. the kind yeah. of thing. And- uh, LimeWire. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And so typically, if you made a what they call mixtapes, which was like a free album. A lot of times rappers, before they make their album, they make a mixtape, okay? Which would include some original stuff and would also include them rapping over other people's beats. Now, I made a mixtape and my mixtape was hosted by Don Cannon who did all the, the biggest mixtapes. Mm. So it came, I, uh, I had this very legitimate cosign from Don Cannon. And typically you'd put this thing out on a website called datpiff.com and there was like a, a Z-share link. You'd yeah. click the Z-share I'm already link. lost. Dude, Z-share, yeah. yeah, it's like, it was this really confusing thing. There were ads all over it, trying to trick you to click other, and then like you had to navigate your way to a place where you'd actually right click and hit like save target as and it would download. And 
I knew I could get my stuff in those places on that website and stuff. But what, but I also knew, remember my friends tell me these these white girls at Duke <laughs> know the words to this song. So I'm thinking I gotta I gotta get in a place where they they can get it too because mm-hmm. I know they're not on Z Share, they're not on Dat Piff. So I, I have it on Z Share, I have it on Dat Piff. But in addition, I found this loophole with iTunes U which was set up for professors to post their lectures. You know, if you're a professor at Duke, you can do a lecture on a topic and anyone from all over the country can get it. And the, the, the cool thing about iTunes U at that time was it was free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could download lectures from all of these colleges. Correct. And yeah, I think, does it still exist? I think, I think so, it was sort of transformed in yeah. some ways. And so the loophole was, I found the guy who ran iTunes U for Duke. And I call him up. And we still text every once in a while. And <laughs> I find out he's from he's from Southfield, Michigan. Oh man. It's like so, divinely. Yeah. So you know, he goes inspired. He goes, I'll put your album on there. He goes, I've done that before. And it's true. I wasn't the first guy to do it. So he put my album on there. And now my stuff is on iTunes, but it's free. Now that's important because we weren't buying Kanye's albums. We weren't buying Lupe's albums. We weren't buying Jay-Z. We were stealing all of them. Yeah. So I knew no one's going to pay for my album because they don't know who the heck I am. So it's important. It's free, but it's also in this safe spot, mm. iTunes. And so um, I started a Facebook group. I got all my buddies to invite all their friends, all my high school friends at different colleges. And before I knew it, I was I was being asked to come to every every college, man. Come play, come play this fraternity, this thing, and I'd get there, and, and everyone knew my stuff. Yeah, so it's this interesting uh, combination of artistry and entrepreneurship. Like you had, to, you know, learning how to like market your own your own deal. You know, like DIY. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So. So is that how it got, like, how did it get to, because the next phase is super interesting. Like, how did it get to, you know, all these record labels and Jay-Z? Yeah. There's people at record labels that are looking for this sort of thing. Uh-huh. They're looking for artists that, while they're doing a show and everyone knows the words to their stuff and they're not signed, right? So, um, a few, you know, some people spotted me, some A&Rs and um, some managers reaching out. And it's a small industry. So if sort of one label is talking about something, two labels, then you can kind of go to a third one and be like, hey, they're going to offer me a deal. Do you want to have a meeting type of thing? Um, so, yeah, my stuff started to to catch on. And... I was taking these meetings. I'm in my junior year at Duke. I'm flying to New York. I'm meeting with Craig and Julie at Atlantic. You know, I'm meeting with Barry Weiss at RCA. Um, and I'm, I'm going back to Duke. And I'm in finals week, you know. And uh, I'm writing this paper. And my manager calls me and he says, you, you got to go back to New York. I go, I can't go back to New York. I, what I need to do is finish this paper, man, because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm behind the eight ball a little uh-huh. bit here, man. And he goes, you got to go back to New York. Jay-Z wants to meet you. I go, Jay-Z didn't want to meet me, man. Don't mess with me. He goes, Jay-Z wants to meet you. I go, okay, book the flight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't believe, I didn't believe. I thought I was going to go and they would say, hey, we're sorry. 
he's busy today. You're gonna meet with someone. So that's why I yeah. actually thought because that happens me. all the time. Like if you've been around entertainment, that's that it goes that way yeah. more often than not. And I would. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> that's what I expected, yeah. man. So I didn't tell any friends, you know. Um, and I get on the plane. I go to to New York. Do you think? Sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but do you think? that impetus, like I have to go, even though I have a final, was in part informed by this sense that you had made this mistake in going to Duke while Big Sean and those other guys were getting signed. Like you didn't wanna miss another Perhaps. opportunity. Yeah, I had a deal with myself in those years, which was if there's any scent on the trail, you gotta go. So there were times where, you know, like the first time I was supposed to meet with Cannon who did my mixtape, I drove to Atlanta and he, he, something got messed up. Like the guy connecting us and he was busy and I went there for no reason. Mm. But I had to deal with myself. There was scent on the trail, you gotta go. And what's the ambition level look like at this point? Then or now? Then. <laughs> uh, hi, well, I'll tell you what changed it for me was, was knowing Sean. You know, because I met Sean, and then Sean really got his deal done with Kanye, and he was going in the studio with Pharrell. He's going in the studio with the Dream. He was meeting Madonna, yeah. and this was a guy that I used to freestyle with. You know, we go back and forth, and it's hip hop. I always thought I was better than him. <laughs> right. You know, I thought yeah. not just him. I thought I was better than everyone, mm-hmm. and so this thing that seemed so far fetched before was just, I knew it was gonna happen now. I go, Sean did it, I'm next, it's happening. You know, it's, I just knew. Yeah. And, um, but I tell him all the time, man, It. he he really changed my life twice. Once by just living his life in that way, showing me what was really possible. And then it, again, when he get, told me to read those books. Those books, right. Yeah, and, and, you know, by living it, yeah, <laughs> you know, in the studio that day, and so Jay, so you're on, you go to New York to see yeah, Jay Z, and and Sean, he opened up so many. A year before the Jay Z meeting, we're in Detroit, and Kanye's playing Go in the Dark tour, okay, and Sean gets like guest listed twenty tickets, so it's like all of our buddies are there, man. Sean brings all of us. Backstage, <laughs> and we meet Kanye, and then like three months later, Sean calls me up, and he goes, "Kanye's playing MSG tonight. You want to come? Um, Jay Z's supposed to be there." I say, "I do, but I'm in Michigan." Right. Phone is silent. MSG for- Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Phone is silent for like ten seconds. I go, I should probably book a book a flight. He goes, <laughs> he goes, yeah, yeah you should. Uh-huh. So we go there. I go to pick up the tickets at Will Call. I'm gonna get back to the next meeting. Yeah, I, got it. I go to MSG. I go to Will Call, say, hey, I'm Mike Posner. Tickets supposed to be here. They go, we have no tickets for you. <laughs> I go, dang, are you sure? Michael, maybe Michael Posner? No tickets for you. I call Sean. I go, man, there's no tickets here for me. He goes, 
okay, um, just meet me at the studio then. I'm at the studio at Kanye. I go, upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> like, thank God there were no tickets. So we go to the studio, it gives the address. He meets us downstairs and always in these nicer studios, there's a lounge, which is like a room for the managers to wait while the artists meet. So he goes, just wait in the lounge. So he goes in the studio and you can hear the music they're playing. And I hear one of the songs I did with Sean playing. Whoa. And I know Kanye West is listening to this track, Who Knows, that I produced, I sang the chorus on and Sean rapped on. And I, I'm freaking out because I know if he likes this thing, this could change my life, like for real, for real. Like, so a song ends, I see a bunch of people walk by the lounge towards the elevator. I go, I guess we're leaving now. So I, I walk, I follow him out and Sean's there, Kanye's there. Sean goes, Kanye, this is Mike Posner. He made the song that I just played you. Kanye goes, oh, cool. He gives me a fist bump. Right. Oh. And then there's another silence, five seconds, 10 seconds. And very courageously, I ask, did you like it? And Kanye goes, no. Oh. No. He goes, it, it, he goes, maybe it maybe it's, could be for Lupe. It's not right for Sean. And then he said one of the coolest analogies are he goes, I'm sorry, Sean bumped it. You said it. I had to spike it. Mm. Meaning like he played it, you asked me, I had to tell you the truth. Right. I'm like, and then I'm thinking, like, how did he think of that that quickly? <laughs> appreciate, so, you appreciate the honesty. Like on one level, it didn't like, feel I want to be very clear. Yeah. It did not feel rude at all. Uh-huh. Because you meet too many people and they go, oh man, that's they so blow great. smoke up. Yeah. Yeah. It was just honest. Have you it was just you, honest? Have you and uh, it helped me. It helped me. Um, because I knew in my heart I had better stuff in me. Uh-huh. And so we got in this elevator, and all I wanted to do was make music. I didn't want to quit. I wanted to make more. And that six months pass. I keep doing my thing. I keep plugging. The, the stuff starts to catch on. Now I'm back in, now I'm in the office with Jay-Z. Right. All right. Well, before you get into that, two things. Okay. First, have you run into Kanye since? Yeah. To talk about this? Yeah. You I, have? I'll get to that. All right. I'll get to that. So we'll, we'll, we'll hit that later. Secondly, um, I think it goes to that thing you were talking about, about showing up. Like it could have, what if he had liked it? That could have changed your life. And the fact that he didn't and he told you still held tremendous value in pushing you to do and be better. For sure, for sure. But that wouldn't have happened had you not bought a ticket and gotten on the plane thinking you're going to a concert, but being led into you know, this it's, other situation that you could have never it predicted. It was sent on the trail. Mm. And um, so I, so now now I'm in finals week. Uh -huh. Six months later, eight, I don't remember, eight months later, and I'm in Jay-Z's office. I got my laptop. I'm fumbling with the aux cable. I get that thing in there. I'm nervous. I play it cooler than me. And Jay-Z goes like this. He just like squinched his face and yeah, shaking his head. He just 
You like could, in a way that you're not sure if he likes it, or no, you, know, I, you know he's into it. I knew he loved it. Uh-huh. I knew he loved it. And we had this incredible meeting. He, re- I felt like he really understood me. I was there like two hours, which in hindsight, I'm like, that wow. was ridiculous. And I'm about to leave, and I just had this inkling. I go, can I play you one more song? He says, yeah. So I plug my laptop back in. I play him, who knows, same song. And he he went nuts. He goes, he goes. I can't believe you almost left without playing this for me. He go, you know. Don't ever forget to play that song. So I go back. This is the same one Kanye didn't like. Same song. Mm-hmm. I go back to Duke. I'm back in the library trying to finish this paper. In a moment of procrastination, I open up my email. There is an offer for a record deal from Rock Nation. Now, I end up signing with a different label, but why? Uh, two reasons. Um, one, the, the actual deal was was better mm-hmm. significantly. Um, and secondly... Sean hadn't blown up yet. So I look at my buddy who was signed to an artist as opposed to being signed to a major record label. And I thought, man, I don't know. Is Do the artists do, do they do anything or do they only care about themselves? So I was sort of hesitant. Now, what I learned was later, if you're signed to an artist and you sort of get, it's like this with any label, you get the ball rolling yourself. They can add a lot of kerosene to the mm-hmm. fire. You know, if you're signing Jay-Z and you, you start blowing up, he might do a feature on your second single, you know, and then bang, kabang. But it's a little bit of wait and see. Yeah, but I hadn't, it's like that with any label, but I just hadn't seen it yet. All I knew was my buddy had been signed two, three years and nothing had really happened right. yet. So I signed with a different label and we re-released Cooler Than Me, a remix of Cooler Than Me. Big Sean was on the original Cooler Than Me. And this song sort of explodes. And I go to the European Music Awards in Madrid, Spain. And I see Don C, who's like Kanye's right-hand man. And he's the man. And I go, Don, what up? And he goes, have you seen Kanye? I go, no. I go, he probably doesn't remember me. And he goes, oh, no, let me introduce you. So I go to Kanye. He introduced me, and he didn't remember me. I got to just kind of tell him the story I just told you. And one of the things he said, even before I said the story, was, oh, Mike Posner. He goes, I really like your music. And I knew I had done my job. After I got out of that elevator, I went and I worked, and I continued to get better, and it felt really good. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Full circle and so, moment. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the 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 failure in the moment is not really a failure. It's it's a a step on the path to success, right? Right. I mean, you got to be able to hear that kind of constructive criticism without taking it personally or letting it deflate you. Yeah. I mean, you're somebody who I get the sense 
fully owned the fact that this was gonna be your path, had a deep, profound knowing that somehow it was gonna work out for you. So when you're that rooted and committed, I don't know if you were obsessed, but you were definitely, you know, full bore, 100% headed in that direction. Yeah. When you're in that place, you're in a better situation to hear that kind of feedback without, without it getting you derailed. Correct, correct. So this song blows up and does that change your life? In some ways, yes, in others, no. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. It changed the things I was doing. So I'm playing concerts much more often for many more people. I'm making more money. I'm sort of parading around the world, taking my shirt off at shows. Mm. And unfortunately, what I realized, and it's such a gift to sort of fall into this kind of, quote, success at the age I was at, which was like 23. The ways it didn't change my life was it didn't make me any happier. It didn't make me any more comfortable in my own skin. Um, And it didn't clear up any of the insecurities I had with myself. And what was especially disillusioning about that was I thought it would. I thought when I get these, accomplish these things, I'll feel content in myself to a point where I'll actually be nicer to other people, but I, I just wasn't. Well, that's a shared delusion. That's an epidemic in our culture, right? <laughs> yeah. If I just get this, if I can get this status or this thing or this job or this relationship or this bank account, then that's going to solve my problems, and I can, and I can relax and correct. Be, be, I'm okay with myself. And I don't know that um, you can just hear two guys talking about that and believe them, because I didn't. You know, I had to learn that mm-hmm. myself. And that's why I say it was a blessing, a, a gift. You know, I feel that my audience has gifted me the opportunity to explore what life's about when you stop chasing shiny things. Right. Well, the interesting thing is you had the awareness, the conscious awareness um, to understand that the chasing was not going to resolve the dilemma. Because I think most people, who find themselves in this situation, which is a quality problem to have. Right. Uh, let's be clear. Yeah. Uh, then perpetuate the delusion by saying, all right, well, I just need one more hit. Correct. You know, I mean, one more, I need, well, I got this nice house, but if I just get the bigger house, like they'll chase that to the grave, Correct. right? So to get off the train is something that um, eludes most people and it's difficult to do. So why do you think you were able to do that? I think I'm doing it still, to be clear. You know, there's a <laughs> there's definitely some part of me percentage that still does that. Still wants everyone to like me and is upset when they don't and wants the so you're, album you're, of the year grade. So you're not enlightened, you're not an enlightened being. No, I mean, look, you're, but, we're humans, of course. Yeah, but I think you know? the person, I know for but sure. But the honesty of that is refreshing. The percentage of that is lower uh-huh. each year, I think. 
you know, it used to be a hundred percent, you know, I, I didn't have any awareness of it. It just, it was me, mm-hmm. you know, there was no part of me that was looking at this, looking at this, you know, objectively. Um, now I'd say, I'd hope it's like under 50% of uh-huh. like why I do what I do. Well, you have this huge hit and it puts you on the map, but then you have kind of a fallow period where you're trying to make you know, more hits thinking it's gonna be easy because your first one was huge. So you've had the ups and the downs. You know what it's like to, to be in both of those places. And it reminds me of that thing that Jim Carrey has said, which is something along the lines of like, I wish everyone could be famous so they could realize like it's not the solution to what ails us or what we're truly looking for. That's a great line. Yeah, that's a great line. He's right. Yeah. He's right. Plus the irony, the added irony of of the song that makes you famous, cooler than me, is just about you not being cool. Correct. But then it makes you cool. <laughs> it happened again. Yeah, yeah, and it happened again, you know, so on my second big hit that I sang was a was about the fall from fame, which I thought was was pretty interesting, you know. Um, I took a pill on Ibiza. Yes, I took a pill on Ibiza is about what happens, like you're a one hit wonder, and then what happens? What's that, that, that story is not so well documented. This is a line in there, it says, um, you know, um, I'm just a singer who already blew a shot. I get along with old timers because my name's a reminder of a pop song people forgot. And the song I'm talking about is cooler than me. Mm-hmm. But then there's something about this song that ironically gives me another shot. <laughs> well, setting aside, you know, the melody and the lyricism and the kind of, you know, beautiful technical aspects of what makes that a great song, great pop song, it's the honesty and the vulnerability that I think allows people to connect with your humanity. Thank you. You know, Thank and I, again, that's what we were talking about at the outset. I mean, that's a that's a theme that runs through your best work. Yeah, and and to me, that's not a departure from hip hop. Um, authenticity in hip hop matters a lot. You know, when when you listen, if you think about your favorite rappers, they tend to be people that you believe what they say. Like they're not making up a story, you know, whether it be Jay-Z, Jay-Z says he never lies in songs and that's probably true. And it's cool because there's authenticity to it. It, 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 Their stories don't resemble my story. Mm. Um, But I've always tried to maintain that, that feeling that what I'm saying is, is true, you know? Um, not as some pieces where they're like completely fiction and I think it's pretty obvious when it is, but that Yeah, mat- I mean, how that, do you square it? I mean, there's a lot me. of fronting in hip hop too, right? There's a lot of chest pounding. And, there is, but if you, you think know. about your favorite guys, you know, I shouldn't say, but I think about my favorite yeah. guys. Which are who? I mean, Jay-Z, um, Kanye West, uh, now we're in a top five list, right. man. It's Kendrick. dangerous. Andre 3000, you know, <laughs> J. Cole, you know, Kendrick. These are guys that are, they're authentic, you know, isn't yeah. it? And if they're saying, if they're saying they drive a certain car, they probably actually have that car, you know, <laughs> those guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Which isn't always um, the case, you know. Right, and, and 
And this song, how many years in between the two hits? 2010 and like five, five or five six. Five years, right? Yeah, five So you six. get the, the, uh, the first hit, you make it big. Suddenly you're touring, you're traveling, people know your name, all that stuff. You get the dope house and the dope car. Was there a little bit of like, now I am gonna be cool. Like, I'm gonna play this out. Like, let's see what this experience is like. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was sort of doing what I thought I was supposed to do, which which is sort of, I'm sort of ashamed about now. A lot of like um, womanizing, um, just like wasting money on like clothes and shoes and stuff. Like I had shoes I didn't even knew I, any remember I had, and at a certain point I just couldn't justify it anymore. You know, just like how do I have all this stuff and like how do I have two hundred pairs of shoes or something ridiculous and there's someone within a mile of me that has none. You know, mm-hmm. so I just I don't know I I. I I knew that making more more attention from the opposite sex, more fame, I knew that wasn't gonna change my experience of life. Did you have like a bottoming out moment with that or was it just sort of a slowly arising awareness that this wasn't gonna work? Slowly arising, slowly arising. And I remember I, I bought a van on, uh, I think we found Craigslist, and it had like sort of a bench sheets in the back that fold out to a bed and a little closet in it. I just put the stuff in that could fit in there. We donated the rest. And I just drove away from all your shit. I drove away from my house uh-huh. and so yeah, like I just left and I went to the, I went to Utah and I always wanted to see if I could be happy without all my shit. And I found, yeah, I can. <laughs> so I should probably stop orienting myself, orienting my life with with money, fame, notoriety, attention from the opposite sex as my north star. Uh huh. At the same time, you were you were still writing songs, but they just weren't connecting in the same way. Yeah, I never stopped writing songs. Uh-huh. You know, a, 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 there's sort of a gap in my career from 2010, my first album, to my second album, 2016. But I made two albums in that time. It was just that because my career had slowed up so much that my career was really considered over um, by by record, by just sort of everyone right. in the industry. Like music industry. Yeah, I was there. considered a one-hit wonder. Uh-huh. A good songwriter, hire him to come in if if you, if you want to hit single or something like that, but him singing is that's sort of done. And so my I was making these albums, but they weren't being released. And um, I hope to one day sort of figure out the legalities and and get those out there. Uh, yeah, well, it, it it feels like it seems as if in that period after that hit, when you're trying to you know replicate that or just you know in this presumption that you're going to be able to you know create more and more hits you're fighting this growing sense that you are a one hit wonder. And it's only when you make total peace with that and then do it in a public way 
that everything then shifts again. Correct. Correct. It's like you can't have what's next until you're okay with what's here now. Yeah. And and during that period of time, um, is this when the kind of spiritual growth is starting to take root? Like, what are you doing? Correct. So I started meditating in this book, um, Asking It Is Given, It Changed My Life. It's it's, um, about sort of a wacky thing that um, people have a lot of opinions about, but I believe in the law of attraction, which is um, you sort of get what you think about. So if I'm thinking about, you know, um, my success is coming, then my success is coming. If I'm thinking about it's not here yet, I'm going to get more of it's not here yet. So there's a subtle shift in the in the thinking. Acceptance and, and um, freeing yourself from expectations. Yeah, we, it's just sort of like um, re-brainwashing myself. It really was like a brainwashing where I had to train my mind to think of my career and myself differently than everyone else did. You know, because everyone else thought my thing was done. And each day I would journal. I would sometimes um, write the same sentence over and over and over again. Um, And I just got myself to take walks where I'm repeating the same thing, almost like a mantra in my head, like I will accomplish this. And eventually I started to really believe that. And... Maybe maybe it's happenstance. I don't know. I can't say for sure. I don't have a double blind uh-huh. study, but I know that um, I got my own internal dialogue to a point where, just like the first time where I knew that was gonna happen because Sean did it, I knew I was coming back. Yeah, I knew my everything. Did was gonna you know work Lisa out. was gonna be the one? No, because I thought it wouldn't be the one because. It has a drug reference in the title and the first line. So I'm thinking they're probably not going to play that <laughs> no, on the radio. The radio is going to play this. Yeah, but um, I didn't know. I, 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 I knew it was a good song when I wrote it. Yeah. I liked it right away. So this song, it gets, it gets remixed, right? And Correct. that was the one that goes bananas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this song has been played like a billion, I mean, that's not an exaggeration, like a billion times on Spotify, Correct. right? It's like- Something like the one of the top couple most streamed I, songs in the in the history of the platform. Yeah, at some point it was like six months ago. It was number ten all time. All time. It's probably been passed by. That is bit. insane. Yeah, that that is insane. It's insane to me <laughs> too. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, how uh, do you even process that? I don't know. I guess I don't really. Yeah. Like you said, started out at the beginning. Try not to really. Right. You know, because my job isn't to make another. Visa is just to make whatever yeah, pops yeah. up next. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's this interesting, um, I don't know if it's a trend, but this wave of artists, musical artists, who are kind of redefining what it means to be um, prolific. Uh, and for lack of a better word, like cool, like the old trope of rock and roll star parties, you know, ends up in the grave too soon. You know, the Janis Joplin kind of um, scenario is outdated. And now what's really interesting are people that are not only producing amazing art, 
but doing it from a place of elevated consciousness. Like I see you as somebody, you're, you're like a spiritual warrior. You're on this spiritual journey. And the more you kind of raise your conscious awareness, the better your work is. And there's an infectious kind of um, spirit that emanates out from you, perhaps in the same way that you felt from Big Sean when I you so. think that. And I see this, you know, with people like yourself, but you know, like NQ is somebody who's very yeah. much like that, and I know he's your boy. Uh, but there's a lot of people now, and and I think the public is embracing that and saying, "This is this is cool." Like, look at these guys; like they've gone through hard things, and they're not just checking out with drugs and alcohol and you know how many chicks they can sleep with or whatever. Like they're coming from it from from you know this higher plane. I that's it's so nice of you to say that. Thank you. Because that's my aim, mm. you know. Um, if I could, if I could be that for other people, if I give that gift that Sean gave to me that day, that's like my highest. Is that the mission? That's I know on your website mission. you have like you can click on the mission tab, and it's yeah. like one sentence. Yeah, it's um to enjoy my life and help others enjoy theirs, and in the meantime, be as kind to other people as possible. That's a pretty solid. It's mission. my mission. Yeah. You know? And I had this crazy moment with uh Ram Das. Do you know Ram Das? Of course. So a buddy of mine, his mother was dying, and she had a relationship with Ram Das. They were friends, they used to Skype, and they had a trip planned. She died. And my buddy says, I still want to go. Will you go with me? To Hawaii. To Hawaii. Mm -hmm. We go, go to Maui. And we roll up on his house and it is like just you know beautiful and they let us in they sort of sit in the living room and he comes in on his electric chair you know he's had a stroke yeah. and he looked at us with these big old eyes that just said i love you we could have been serial killers he listened and he said a bunch of words I'd heard him say before, but some of you 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 felt it. Just the energy. You felt it. I, I don't know how to explain it other than it was a palpable physical feeling. And I left, I walked out of his house. He he talked to us for like 45 minutes and he goes, Okay, time for you to go. And <laughs> you got a and, healthy boundary. And it, I just want to stress yeah. it wasn't anything he said. It was all stuff I'd heard him say before. It's almost like recycled speeches. It was him. And we walked out the door, he closed the door, and I like, I keeled over. I, he told us, you're walking around all day and you're choosing and categorizing what to love and what not to love. You know, I like this, I don't like this. All day you're doing that. He goes, it's too much work. Just love everything. He goes, see that, see, my friend told me, we mean love everything. And he, he sent me a dirty carpet. I framed it. There it is. I love that carpet. And he has a puja table, right? And it's like, he's got like Gandhi and Maharaji and, uh, you know, all these saints, right? Um, and then he kept, keeps a, then it was a picture of like a, a, a George Bush. Now he keeps Donald Trump because he doesn't like George Bush and Donald Trump but he loves them. And I just walk out the house like, 
this is a whole different way to be in the world. Yeah, that is, that's, that's heavy. The and, oneness, like the just unconditional love for all and the interconnectedness of everything. Correct. And I thought, I didn't feel like I met some guy, some like deity. I felt like I met a guy who did the work. This dude has been yeah. meditating, you know, he's done the work for the last however many years, 40, 50. And I, I just made a deal with myself. Like, that's, that's what I want to be to other people. What else do I have to do? You know? So what do you... If I could light someone up like that, yeah. like, that's, that's what I want to do. How do you practice that? How do you combat your own internal, you know, presets to override, you know, whatever judgments you have in order to kind of occupy that space? Well, we keep going back to meditation. That helps, you know, yoga helps, exercise helps because they sort of like clear things out, right? You know, it's like, yeah. you know, you finish some hard workouts, like that's sort of like a reset, right? So you're back to zero and then you can create your own story. So for me, that that involves like a lot of st studying, you know, whether it's, you know, listen to a lot of these guys' lectures like Ram Das or Alan Watts or Abraham Hicks and um, Eckhart Tolle. I just try to like brainwash myself with that stuff. Um, and I'm always, I'm always trying to listen to, to that stuff. Recently, I've been, um, I just started this thing because I realized I'm always listening to like, Someone, someone's lecture or like someone's like affirmations, like when I'm going to bed on like a, on a clip or, and uh, I thought I should make one for myself. And so I just recorded some for myself that are like tailor-made for me. Like, mm -hmm. and I know the, I know the things I need to work on. Like, you know, that I still care too much about what other people think about me. And, um, you know, and I know I can get petulant and frustrated and, and, and sort of petty at times. So I I, I, I sort, of, sort of made my own recordings and uh, I'm, I'm excited about sort of brainwashing myself with those. Uh -huh. I like that. Yeah. That's cool. What do they say? Can you tell me or are they just for you? Um, yeah, I think I'll probably release them at some point, uh -huh. you know. Um, yeah, they just sort of like work myself up into a frenzy. You know, it's, and I'm saying in first person, it's like I am... You know, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. You know, I had to live my whole life to get right here. The the past is is not a real thing that exists only in my head, and it and it really has no bearing on me right now. What's moving my life forward is my mood and my vibration in this moment, and that's it. And I'm here, and I'm supposed to be here. And I'm a good person, and I'm happy, and I'm loving. You know these uh -huh. sort of things, and it go. And and sometimes I'm like yelling. I'm so excited. You know, it's it's cool. It's beautiful. Um, when I think of you, and I kind of look at how you live your life and what you do, you're an artist who who whose work extends beyond just music. Like I feel like your canvas or your template is your life and the way that you share it. Like there's the songs and there's the concerts and the performances, but the open way in which you share your life experience is like a larger, you know, it's like expanding the aperture on, on what your artistic expression is with this canvas of your life and how you're, and how you're living it. 
I just want to say thank you because these are, these are things that matter to me, and I look at that the same way. Like my, I do feel like it's not just my music; it's my life. Mm. Like Gandhi said, can, "Do you know the story? A, a guy went up to him on a train once, and he goes, can I have a quote?' He was a writer, kind of quote for my newspaper. Um, do you have a message?' And he wrote down, "My life is my message." Mm. It's like all my all my decisions and this creation, my whole life. That is my big piece yeah. of art. Like, uh-huh. and I'm adding a stroke or taking a stroke away every day. Um, so I just want to thank you. It's it's cool for me to be seen the way I see myself. Uh-huh. So I I I just want to thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. I mean, you you have such a a charming, beautiful, like childlike nature to yourself. You know what I mean? It's very, it's like easy to be with you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and uh, I can't help but compare that to the life of your friend Avicii. I, did, I watched his documentary um, the other day and was very moved by by it. And, and there's plenty of, have you seen it? Have you watched the no, movie? I, I heard if, you didn't want to watch it. Yeah. I don't know if I can. Yeah, but I think, what what I took away from it is somebody who was extremely gifted and also, you know, like just kind of an introverted, beautiful, giving dude, you know, who just had this facility for music that was unbelievable. And what it happened really was, is, yeah, and and really I'm not was. like steeped in DJ culture, like I don't know that much about it. But you, you can't. I don't think you really can know how good he was unless you worked with him like I mm-hmm. did. Because the tendency, and I'm sure some of these guys do, they go up there and they hit play and whatever. But he, what, it, his genius was in the studio. He's writing these songs, you know, and he's making all the music on his computer. Right. And his sense of melody, I mean, the Swedes are known for their, <laughs> their melody. Uh-huh. Most of my friend made fun of me because I did a 23 and Me. And I have like 0.1% Scandinavian. And they go, they <laughs> well, go, that's what it they is. go, that's where your hits are from, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh-huh. But uh, his melodies were just ridiculous. Uh-huh. The melodies of his drops. And then he would write the melodies of the songs too. And he was annoying in the studio because he would, every little note had to be exactly right. And he's right. always changing it. Complete perfectionist. Yes. And they have, all these people like Wyclef Jean and Chris Martin and all these people are like, oh my God, this, you have no idea how talented this guy is. He's just like so supremely talented. It's all in his head. He's got it perfect in his mind. And the process is just bringing that to life and trying to get other people to understand what yeah. he's trying to express. But in that journey, you know, his, his, like, his arc to superstardom was so rapid and he was suddenly surrounded by this infrastructure of people that there was this whole machine behind um, what he does. And he was powerless to get it to stop. And throughout the movie, he's like, I'm, I have so much anxiety. I gotta stop. We gotta can't like warning sign, warning sign, warning sign, warning sign. And still it was so difficult for him to extricate himself from that. And I think most people would think of that scenario and say, well, he should have just had better people around him or why couldn't he just say no and take a break? And the truth is, it's more complicated than that. It's These weren't bad people that were surrounding him. And they're nobody- They're doing their job. Yeah, they're doing their job and they're not telling him, look, you can't cancel. They're just saying, 
well, if you do, this is gonna happen. I, it was a very realistic portrait of what it must be like to be caught caught in the middle, you know, in that situation. And he did take breaks and the movie kind of concludes with him on this island and you think it's gonna be all good because he is, he finally finished all his shows. He says, I'm not gonna tour anymore. And you think he's gonna find the peace that he's looking for. And yet the depression or whatever, you know, kind of mental disposition that he was harboring, he still couldn't overcome. And I think it's informative for anybody um, but especially someone like yourself, who's been in that situation, been out of it, is back in it. Um, you know, what do you take away as somebody who was his friend and who collaborated with him and knew him quite well? Like, what do you take away from how he lived his life, and how does that inform how you make decisions? The first thing I take away is actually not from his life, it's from his death. And I don't think it's particular to his death. But anytime someone close to us goes, the first thing it does is reminds us we're next. We're going to go too. And people don't like to think about mm -hmm. that. It's one of the reasons it's painful. And so this his death reframed my life in that I know the time is now. You know, the, 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 we all got a list of things that we want to do when we're done doing what we have to do. You can't wait. You know, it's like my dad is dead now. He can't do anymore. Tim is dead now. Now Mac is dead now too. Mm -hmm. And I know one day I will be dead as well. Before that day, I need to live my life. I can't wait till tomorrow or next week. This is it. And I have one of those infrastructures as well you know, around me and it's set up to maximize profits. So it's like, you have a song, okay, you need to tour as much as you can, sell as many songs as we can. And there's no one on the team, there's no like palliative member of the team right. going, let's do X amount less shows to, to make sure Mike is good. And you know, that's my job. So, um, I think one of the reasons Jeff connected us was, you know, part Tim's passing is is one of the big reasons I'm walking across America this right. coming year. Is you know, this was something I wanted to do. I'll do it one day. I, I, I got it. That's the first thing I thought. Man, I gotta do that fucking walk. I could do that walk before it's too late. What are you waiting for? This is your life. So now I gotta have some hard conversations. I call. I had to meet with my band. Say, hey guys, we ain't touring this year. So you had a whole tour because you have an album coming out in like a week, right? Yeah, I'm coming week. So I'm, I'm, sure I'm supposed to. Tour. I'm supposed to do the tour. I'm supposed wow. to do all the late night TVs, all the stuff. They're not booked already, but that's, that's that's protocol. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a hard talk with my manager. Hey man, I'm actually gonna make zero dollars next year, which means you're gonna make zero dollars. 
How'd that go? It's a tough conversation for him, you know, at first. Now, I call him a day later. I go, where are we at with this, man? Because are you upset with me? He goes, look, man, I know you're making a life decision, not a career decision, and I support you. So he got my back, you know, at the end of the day. But it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because all these people are, are reminding you exactly like you said, but but you can miss this opportunity. What if what if what if Coachella wants to book you? What you know? I don't know. I gotta do. I gotta do this, man. This is it. Um, <laughs> I just wrote the other day. It's a lot to unpack. You know, um, it's a lot to unpack. I can't put my life all on one track. You know, people say I'm giving up a year of my life to do the walk. I say I'm taking one back. That's how I feel, man. It's 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 my life. It's my life. I can't I can't I can't do what everyone else thinks I'm supposed to do, whatever. That's that's your life. If you're not gonna take control of your life worth what where you're at right now, then somebody else will. And you like you said, you've got an infrastructure that would be more than happy to take take the reins on that. Correct. You know, and it's it's so it's gotta be even harder for you to put the brakes on and say, no, I'm gonna do this other thing. So we should just say for people that are listening or watching, March 1st, you're gonna walk across America. Yeah. It's gonna take you like the better part of a year to do it. Maybe a year, who knows? Yeah. So see how fast I go. <laughs> yeah, what a, where does this like why this? Like what is this about? Man, we we all have that that list. The same way a song pops in my head, I know I gotta write it. This, I, I, this pop in my head, I know I got to do you it. You got to do it. Just and it's instinctual. I know. I I know. I want to do it. I know. You know. I don't know why I want to. I, I, I'm not making that call. I'm not. I'm not deciding what's calling to me. I'm just. I'm just listening. And is the idea to kind of create a community experience out of doing this, like sharing it? Yeah, having man. people join you. Look, like, Playing like, music along the way. Yeah, it's like I, you know, I know what's gonna happen if I, you know, sit in the studio, make an album, and tour. I don't know what's gonna happen when walking across Arizona in hundred degree weather. Yeah, but you're you know? gonna have so many people coming out to walk with you. Yeah, it's gonna I can't be cool. wait. I can't wait. You know, and I just got to a place where, like I said, Tim passed, and I was just sort of tired of listening to all these great podcasts that you and and others do and um, reading these books about all these great individuals and, and, and not doing those things myself. I wanna like, it's all like a marketing to myself. Like I wanna be the person that I think is awesome. Like if I was not me and I heard my music, I would think it's awesome. Obviously, I'm biased. Yeah. But if I if I was <laughs> if I was not me and I was looking at Mike Posner and he was doing his career and then he said, you know what? I'll walk across America. Like me personally, I would think that guy is freaking amazing. I'm trying to make myself someone that I'll be proud of, you know, and then that target moves because I become that person. You know, next year I'll be that guy that I'm like dreaming of. So it's it's really cool. I have another line that goes, I said, um, I, I don't know what I'll do when it's, do when it's done. Hopefully I touch a life. Maybe you could be one. I'm not walking to find, I'm not walking to show people who I am. I'm walking to find out who I'll become. Yeah, and and as somebody who's, whose life is your art, you have to live that life in order to have something to say and to express. 
it's I'm like there's no way I'm gonna do this thing and not learn. Oh no way! Not learn the, a crazy. The best part amount. is is the the unknown, like the absolute question mark of like what's gonna happen because stuff will happen. Yeah, and it's gonna be this crazy adventure. Yeah, I've just had some like emails with people who have done this, and they go, they'll say things like nothing will be the same after this. Yeah. Or they'll say things like, like at some point on this journey, you will come face to face with the deepest depths of your soul. But, but <laughs> I don't, don't know if it'll be they that, go, that they go, dramatic. But, they go, but, but don't worry about that yet. You know, so it's like, and what, what, whether it's that or uh-huh. even 1% of that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn more. I'll have more on my palate than I do now, a year from now. Of course. And I'm, I'm, I'm not retiring you know, <laughs> for music at all. It's like, I'm even more committed to going out there, diving back into life and bringing that back to my music. I feel the deeper the human, the deeper the songs. And on on the surface, this may look like uh, me like attempting to drop out or escape from the world. It's actually the opposite. I feel like when I'm sitting like, in a nice house and I get on the tour bus and everyone on the tour bus works for me. I feel like that's a departure from reality. Uh-huh. Like that's not real life. I want to die back. Like I want to walk through all the smallest towns in Indiana and listen to people and listen in the meantime, while I'm walking to all the greatest albums ever made that I haven't gotten to yet and come back and, and put all that into my music. Well, I know it's right because you just literally came alive talking about this, man. <laughs> I'm excited. So, you know, I think, it, I think this is a good thing. <laughs> and the irony is that is that this is probably going to be the best marketing tool for the album. <laughs> By yeah. you, like like you said, like you know, like hey, you do Fallon, you do this, you go on this late night show, you, then you do this is the tour that you do. You're doing something completely different. But I think that's interesting. And I think people are going to be interested in following that journey. Yeah. And I think it's just gonna create a groundswell of, of awareness around what you do. It could, it could not too. And maybe not, who cares? But yeah, the point is like, it doesn't matter. Exactly. You know? And I, you know, I wanna be honest too. There is some part of me that has thought about that and hopes that happens. Like, yeah. Like this will be my biggest tour of all time, and uh-huh. screw you, label. Look, I did it my way, and now I'm a big star. Um, what is the label telling you? <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't got. I haven't had a harder conversation than your manager. Yeah, I think he had to tell them. So uh, I haven't gotten any calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I haven't gotten any calls. So March one, but you're starting. You're starting on the East Coast, right? Do you have the route mapped out? I will. Kind of stuff? The, I will in the next few days. All right, uh, and because so, this won't go up for a little bit, but you'll yeah. Be... So right now, I'm looking probably in New Jersey. I've uh-huh. been looking at. It's not decided. Um, so if anyone one wants to join or follow along, uh, they can follow me on social on Instagram. That's really where I am. I don't. You really do Twitter. Um, but I'm looking at Asbury Park. I'm a Springsteen fan, uh-huh. so I think it'd be cool to go. Well, you got to start with your feet in the ocean. Yes, exactly. Well, I'm, it's I gonna plan be on, freaking cold. I plan on putting my whole body in. I love that you cold water, man. Do you do cold water? Yeah, I love cold water. I get in there. I was at, I have a house in Northern Michigan. Uh-huh. And it was up there. In, where in where in Northern Michigan? Well, I won't give you too many details. Yeah, kind of okay. like a we'll little secret. Yeah, it's in yeah, like yeah. a tiny tiny. Don't want it to like blow up. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> people knocking on your door. But it's an hour away from Traverse City. Uh-huh. And yeah, I was just up there in December and I got in the water. 
it was real cold, but I love it. It's like it's like twenty coffees to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So that'll that'll be cool. And I my my anyone is sort of invited to join. You know, with some caveats. You know, I'm gonna be walking like twenty miles a day as I ramp up into this. Are thing. you gonna do it? With a backpack or no. like a, how are you going to no. handle I'm the I'm actually doing of... this probably in the most um, pretentious way uh-huh. in that I'll have an RV that goes ahead of me gotcha. each day and one person with me. That allows me to do a couple of things. One, allows me to go faster, right? Because I'm not carrying as much stuff. Two, I can bring more stuff like a guitar and a keyboard. Uh-huh. Whereas if I'm like pushing a cart, most people don't do a backpack. Um, some people start with the back because it's very romantic but most people end up pushing a cart because it's more practical. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd just be able to take more stuff and play music and um, have like my mom can come out for a day type of, type right. of thing. Um, I do plan on doing like at least two weeks of this thing with the cart, like alone yeah. up there. Cool. So we'll see. So impromptu I need concerts to, I need along to ask the way. Your, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, tons. I need to ask your advice too about like foot care and- blister prevention that's big man yeah because with things like this it's the tiny things it's the details that can derail you if you have the wrong pair of socks or right you know your shoes get wet and then you get a big blister and then you can't walk we can talk more about that please but yeah yeah (laughs) you you want to make sure you're taking (laughs) care of that but you know if you have an rv full of stuff you're going to be all right I feel you know, good. I think the thing is you're going to be excited in the beginning and you're going to want to <laughs> like walk a little bit further than you probably should each right. day. And so to err on the side of less is more until yeah. you acclimate and get used to it. Yeah. Um, Great advice. Yeah. And then you'll Great kind of build, you'll build into it over time. But I'm excited for you, man. It's Me cool. too. It's going to be cool. Me I can just too. see you like you're coming up on some little town and there's like a little theater that no one ever uses. And you're like, hey man, could we use that tonight? You know, and just shout out on Instagram yeah. and some people show up or whatever and yeah. you play and we get call to those, know some people. We call those ninja shows. And that was invented by a woman named Amanda Palmer. Do you know Amanda Palmer? Of course. Palmer? Yeah. Unbelievable human and thinker yeah. and artist. And excuse me. And she made up this concept of the ninja show, which is, when her shows would sell out, another good problem to have, she would feel bad for people that couldn't get tickets. So before her show, she would tweet, hey, I'm going to be at this corner with my ukulele at 7 o'clock. Come, and I'm going to play. Uh-huh. And she just go show up and play. And I heard, I read her book, man. I was like, I got to do that. Man. That's cool. <laughs> this is so cool. So I've done probably 40 of those mm-hmm. since then. I've played at like the Grand Canyon where like five people have shown up and I've played at the school like University of Dayton where I tweeted, hey, I'm gonna be here in like an hour. And like 2,000 people showed up. It was so (laughs) ridiculous, so cool. And it's really fun because most shows are set up to keep you as separate from the audience as possible. We think about the, the stage itself puts you higher. There's usually a barricade with security in between the stage and the barricade. And even the word fan, short for fanatic, sort of like. Stay away from those people. Yeah, sort of, um, yeah, it, it um, categorizes danger. them as dangerous. Yeah. And 
that's how I thought about my audience until I did start doing ninja shows because I was I play my guitar and then I meet them after. And it's just people like you and me, like we both have artists that we love and we listen to. And like, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm that artist for them, which is a, so cool. And I know what that's like because I have artists like that, you know? One of them is Kanye West. Yeah. <laughs> like, and music is about connection. Correct. And yeah, I just stopped thinking about these. Uh, you know that saying, like, I'd never want to be in a club that I was allowed into? Yeah. It's sort of like that, where there was earlier in my life more of a f- underlying sense of unworthiness. Like, there must be something wrong with you if you like me this much. But no, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with me or them, you know, it's just they connect with my music. Yeah. And so that was, it was really cool doing those shows Beautiful. and I'm excited about mm-hmm. doing tons more of them. Are and you gonna do, do, you should document, you're gonna have like a documentary crew with you because this idea of going across America and connecting with this country, I think it'd be man, a powerful I, narrative. I am, Honestly, have uh, enough on my plate right now, logistically uh-huh. figuring out how me and one person with me are gonna do this thing. So only one other person. It is be will be RV. with me, and they'll it'll cycle. It won't be the same person the whole way. Um, but my plan is sort of announce this thing, and if anyone wants to shoot me, they're welcome to. But I don't really want to be like executive producing right. that. <laughs> I'm on the way, man. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I don't want to have well, a lot. Well, it would, it would take crew. you out of being present for the experience, yeah. which is the whole point of and it. And I don't right? want to be managing a lot of people. Yeah. I just want to walk. Have you, uh, you're, you're friends with Jed Jenkins probably, aren't you? No, but I want to be. Oh, really? Yeah. I can't believe you don't know him. I would have thought you guys were I know of him. tight. Yeah. Um, but his experience from that bike ride, you should you should definitely connect. With I haven't him read his book up. either. I heard it's incredible. Should, yeah, it's great. it's great. I heard his writing is he's a beautiful writer. Yeah, he's a great writer. Yeah, yeah. you should definitely read that book. Um, I'm amazed that you guys aren't connected. I'm happy to connect to you. Please you do, man. Off, man. Yeah, I'm um, sure he'll help me a lot. Cool. So let's wrap this up. Uh, if we could close it down with a few uh, words of wisdom for somebody who's out there who aspires to give voice to their creative muse, perhaps somebody who's a little frustrated or stymied, doesn't know how to take that first step. Yeah. Uh, you know, what is, what is some inspiration or some tools that you've used that have been helpful in bringing, uh, bringing truth to your expression? Being an artist is a really simple job. And this goes for any medium, writer, painter, musician. Your job is to create the art that you want to be in the world, the art that you want to exist. And how do you define art and artist? Anyone doing something creative, you know, I think. I don't know. But yeah, you're asking about someone who who's looking for their mm-hmm. muse. And what gets in the way of the muse is when we start worrying about what other people will think. Even one extra person is too many. If I think about what Rich, will he like this song, it will mess my process up. All I can do is create the stuff that I want 
to be created, the stuff I want to exist. It's a beautiful job. You get to tailor make things for you, beautiful things that are, that are made to your exact preferences and no one else can do it except you. And it's, so it's just, it's just very simple. Um, that coming back to that has helped me every album, mm. you know, um, and I think I heard it. I don't, I didn't make that up. I heard it from Maria Popova from Brain Pickings. Right, Brain Pickings, yeah. Just, just make what you want to be made. That's it. You know, so we could, we could zoom out. Just do what you want to be done in your life. That's it. It's your life. It's your creation. Go get it. No one else can do it for you. If you don't do that thing, it just won't happen. You know, if you don't write that song, that song won't get written. It, 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 no one else could do it for you. It sounds so simple. It is simple. It is simple. Um, it's easy to lose track of that, but I think it is pretty simple to come back mm-hmm. to that. You know, it's I've about- told big, I've told big name artists that they're in the throes of an album and they're confused. And they have too many songs. It's like, what do you like? What are you trying? I to just say? tell them that, and they go. It's like they took a. Took a dip in the cold lake, right. man. Like, whoa. And it's for myself too. Yeah. Being honest with yourself about who you are, what it is that you want to say. I think it requires a level of like self-integration, self-understanding that comes with the meditation and all these other practices that you've been doing. They don't hurt. Yeah, for sure. no, they don't hurt <laughs> cool. Well, uh, you're a beautiful man, Mike Posner. Thank you. Thank you. You You are too, man. And I didn't even get to ask you any questions. (laughs) This is not about me, man. It's about you today. Um, I love everything uh, that you are and do. Um, And I wish you only the best, most incredible experience on this walk. Thank you, I'm so excited for you. I'll see you at the end. With all the, I don't know, man. I think I might come, I might have to come and join you for a spell. You are super invited. It's, uh, it sounds amazing. You are super invited. Um, And you're a beautiful soul and I appreciate your art and your artistry and the spirit with which you share your, your gift. Thank you. Because you are a gifted man. Thank you. um, And the way in which you're so, you're so free with, this gift with humanity, I think, is is something really special. So, thanks for coming and sharing. With I me appreciate today. that. What uh, what else do we have yeah, to do? I don't know. You know? That's it, man. Yeah. Life is short, brother. Yeah. Cool. So, if people want to connect with you, just you're easy to find on the internet. At it's Mike all it's yeah. all Mike Posner. P O S N like Nancy E R. Spotify, Instagram, your website. MikePosner.com. You're going to have the map there, right? I'll have the map. And uh, I would say like if people really want to join up, probably the best place is Instagram. I think I'll be most sort of Mm. active and perhaps it will pull, my website will probably pull from there. Yeah. Um, And also, yeah, (laughs) be ready if you really want to walk too. You know, like if you can't walk a mile, like, <laughs> yeah. don't come try to walk with me, you know? <laughs> this is for real. This, this is, is for real. Man. This is for real. And there's some other things I, 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 told, I have on my site, you know, is that I'm not, uh, this isn't like a catered event either. You know, it's like if you want to come for more than a day, 
you gotta figure that out on your own. You're, right. You're, you can't you can't take that or, burden on of other people. No, nah, your food or whatever. And I'll say if you want to walk with me, um, no drugs or alcohol. You know, we we rolling into as guests into tiny towns and I got no interest in sort of babysitting mm-hmm. drunk people or high people. Clean living. Clean living. That's right. Let's do this, Rich Re- Reimagining <laughs> the rock star life. There you go, bro. Um, well, you're going to have to come back uh, when the walk is done and tell me about it. That will be so yeah. cool, man. Cool. Maybe like the next day. Yeah. Let's Straight <laughs> here, dude. The Today Show is calling. Forget it. What if I Straight get here like on podcast. the way? For sure, man. The pass last... right pass right by here. I think I'll be crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. People have cried on this show. I think I'll be crying. <laughs> yeah. All right, dude. Peace. Much man. love. Peace. Lads. I love that guy. I told you, right? I told you you would fall in love with him. Unbelievable. What a beautiful, fantastic uh, soul overflowing with love and positivity. Uh, Do me a favor, hit Mike up on Instagram or Twitter at Mike Posner. Let him know what you thought of today's conversation. Keep an eye out for his impending upcoming walk across America. Mike has had to postpone the start date of this walk a couple times due to Uh, An injury in his foot, I emailed him the other day to see if there was an update on the specific date that he was going to launch this thing. He basically said he's day-to-day awaiting the final approval of his physical therapist and his orthopedist. So uh, I think it's going to start soon because he's itching to make it happen, but uh, he has not uh, officially announced the date. So just check in with him on Instagram. I think it's probably the best way to stay on top of that uh, and to get updates if you wanna join him along the way. If you are struggling with your diet, if you are truly desiring of uh, finally in 2019 mastering your plate, but you feel like I don't really have that much skill in the kitchen, I don't have a lot of time, Uh, I can't stress enough how much I know for a fact our Plant Power Meal Planner can help you. It truly is an extraordinary product. We work very hard to create, and it solves a very basic problem, making nutritious eating convenient, delicious, and affordable. When you sign up at meals.richroll.com, you'll get access to thousands of delicious and easy to prepare plant-based recipes. Everything's totally customized based on your personal preferences with unlimited grocery lists, grocery delivery in most metropolitan areas, and a team of expert nutrition coaches at the ready to guide you seven days a week to answer all of your questions. It's all available for just $1.90 a week when you sign up for a year, which is literally the price of a cup of coffee. And right now we have a special offer, a deal, $20 off when you sign up for a year, when you use the code POWER20 at checkout. So basically you're gonna get this entire thing for 80 bucks for a year of unlimited access. Again, go to meals.richroll.com or click on Meal Planner on the top menu on my website. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the podcast, just tell your friends about the show or your favorite episode. Take a screen grab on your phone and share it on your favorite social media platform. Hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, on Spotify, wherever you enjoy this content. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and you can support the show as well on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. I wanna thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music. This week, of course, the music was done by Mike, Mike Posner in the middle live from the studio, which is awesome. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin, who video and edit the video for the podcast and create all those 
social media short clips, Jessica Miranda for graphics, DK David Kahn for advertiser relationships and theme music by Analemma. Thank you for the love, for your attention, for giving me a listen and my guests a listen. Uh, I really do appreciate it. I couldn't do what I do here without you guys. And it's so heartwarming to know that the content that I work hard to put out every week and my team works hard to put out every week uh, is affecting and impacting so many people. I read all your messages and I greatly appreciate it. I will see you back here next week with another amazing episode uh, with the CEO, the Cosmic Engagement Officer of Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps. You know Dr. Bronner's, right? They make that amazing natural soap. His name is David Bronner. He is extraordinary. He is one fascinating dude. You're not gonna wanna miss it. So until then, be well, do well. Peace, plants, namaste. Yeah.